90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Just sitting here surfing the net, looking for sites that have lots of advertisements on them. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Man, I installed an ad blocker on my Google Chrome that's called Cat Blocker. And it turns all the ads into pictures of cats from the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how many news sites I've gone to just to look at all the cat pictures. And then when you scroll over them, it tells their names, which is hysterical. (laughs) We have the world's largest and most sophisticated network for sharing human knowledge. This is what we use it for. Take that, car insurance scams. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah man i was real impressed you know i put this plug in into my googles and it's got cats it's the best thing ever nice (laughs) yeah i'm just saying cat block if anyone is interested primo piece of software well so you know it's actually uh there was an episode of embedded.fm a couple weeks ago or maybe a little more than that now uh, that was a sort of a deep dive into the fundamentals of the internet. Like how how did, does the internet work? Wow! With one of the original internet folks. Ah! <gasps> uh, uh, wow! And the the episode name is called General Drip and Tinkle. <laughs> I'll I'll let you go listen. Uh, but it was one of the most fascinating podcasts I've listened to in a while. That is awesome! I cannot wait to. Uh... I can't wait to listen to that one. I'm definitely behind the behind on that one. So great. Yeah, since my commute got slashed from 45 minutes to six, <laughs> my my podcast consumption has gotten uh, much slower. Uh, yeah, my audiobook consumption has also gotten much slower since I haven't been at the office every day. So yeah, I hear you. <laughs> But the internet is what brings us to today's topic, too. So this sounds like a great way to write another ad-blocking plugin. Just every time (laughs) where there should be an ad, it's a terror bird. (laughs) So I know I've talked about them a lot on this show, but I thought we'd take a moderately shallow dive into them in this. I swear it's going to be a real summer short. We have to get at least one. One. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Um, So, one of my students, Alicia, (laughs) sent me this email and it was um, outlining this paper that just came out about the new skull of this. Oh, I'm not a paleontologist. I'm so sorry for anyone that listens to us. Um, Ferrosricos longissimus um, from the Miocene of Argentina. And while that doesn't sound exciting, it's a new skull of a new terror bird. (laughs) And she said, I know you love terror birds. (laughs) I remember from class because I actually put a lot of terror birds in this one Cenozoic lecture I gave. (laughs) And she said, I thought you'd enjoy this. (laughs) So I thought we should talk about them, like for real talk about them, not just me mentioning how cool they are. Yes, and us providing links to terror bird backpacks. I really want a terror, terror bird ad blocker. Maybe this is where I should, you know, work on my coding, right? Yeah, there you go. People would surely want this. So the, the, the terror birds were around 
oh, I don't know what, about 145, 150 million years ago. Right. So that's where they started. Um, and obviously we had a different continental configuration there. And when you think of terror, not when you think of them, <laughs> when people that know about them think of terror birds, um, they really were around South America. And they spent a large amount of the Cenozoic being the big apex predator of that area. Right. And so this, when we say a large part of that, we're not talking about a few hundred years or 3,000 years, something more like 40 million years. Right, exactly. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, there are some ancestors that make us think terror birds haven't even gone away. Um, so, yeah, so the bigger part of 40 million years. And, I mean, they're called terror birds, right? I'm Not really. What they're called is uh, feros... Nope. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I meant to make you do this. Um, Forest Reikiada. Surely someone's going to correct me on that one. <laughs> but this whole group of these really large birds, I, they're creepy and big. We're talking one to three meters in height and several hundred pounds. And birds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Birds, I mean, <laughs> to me, are already creepy in the, you know, Coca-Cola ah. can-sized form. <laughs> yeah, they're just really weird. Like, baby bird skeletons and bird skeletons in general are so creepy to me. Real creepy things. Um, yeah, but so Coca-Cola can. Think about, you know, three or four kegs stacked up together. That's what we're talking about now. Yeah, and... <laughs> To, to think about these things, you know, th they weren't sitting on top of, you know, your privacy fence looking for worms. <laughs> they had a more serious appetite and they went around scavenging for what food they could find, but they would also kill. <laughs> and I mean, kill for real. And this is where a lot of the, um, I actually read the new skull article which just further reinforced the fact that i am not a paleontologist at all um but pieces of the skull it was really cool how they were talking about um the things that they can see in them you know whether they've been attacked or whether they got sick and all this strange kind of you know avian diseases that you can track in these things that these pre-birds had which is Really strange to think about. So, you know. <laughs> the you the think... terror bird flu. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, birds are dinosaurs. Birds are dinosaurs. And so while these guys and dinosaurs coexisted, um, as the dinosaurs died, they really took over as these apex predators. And in South America, since we're not there, maybe you don't know, at this time in the Cenozoic, there weren't a lot of predators. I mean, there were terror birds, <laughs> but that right. was it. Like most of the most of the mammals and everything down there were just herbivores. So they were, you know, ripe for the taking. Yeah, they're, you know, they're having their salad and terror bird comes down and you would say, oh, well, they attack and they, they bite them. And no, that's not at all how it went down, we think. Uh, right, exactly. So obviously, as you can tell from that last article that I was talking about, the new skull, we have lots of skulls of these guys. And they think that they didn't have actually a lot of bite 
force in their beaks. So while you might be watching birds in the backyard and be calm and tranquil about it while John's freaked out about it, <laughs> you know, you see them get little bugs and they crunch them in half. Um, but we think that these things kill their prey by basically kicking it or beating it with their beaks. <laughs> yeah, so to make it even worse, you don't just get bit and beat <laughs> out quickly. Uh, you just get bludgeoned. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. And so there are birds that do this today, which are um, the relatives, you know, of the terror birds, um, where they take animals and whip them around. You know, they get snakes or something like that um, and beat them up against trees. And then, like, the secretary bird, it kicks things to death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. That's terrifying to me. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I would guess on on the jaw of these terror birds, it's just... It's kind of thin in the in the beak, and there's not a lot of places to have enough force exerted in this case. Mm-hmm. And guess- if you're if you're 200 pounds, I mean, I imagine the beak's a big chunk of that. Right. I, exactly. I'm guessing that you you definitely Googled some of these pictures, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which <laughs> I've talked before on here. I'm sure. Um, I actually have assignments in my classes of give me the best impact pictures. <laughs> I tried to talk my student who just defended his thesis successfully on Friday um, to put like one of those impact pictures <laughs> where like dinosaurs are being blown everywhere, you know, by meteorite impacts. I just. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the action movie version of the impact. Exactly. Like, I love the art that goes with some of this stuff. And terror birds are no different. Like next to impact art, terror bird art is my next favorite thing because there are these pictures of these things. And just like you're saying the beak, like it reminds me of either like oversized eagle beaks or some of them look like kind of squished up toucan beaks or something like that. Um, And then (laughs) there's pictures of these things like holding down like little donkeys (laughs) and like knocking their heads against them and stuff. And that's just... I mean, it's really funny, but it's not, I imagine, if that were actually happening to you. Yeah, so roughly from the size of these things, uh, I would say, you know those metal trash cans like Oscar the Grouch used to live in? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Imagine somebody beating you to death with that. Yeah. That's about mm-hmm. the right size. Yeah. God, that's so crazy. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I love this, this sentence in the Wikipedia article about them was hilarious. Um, it's thought that a terror, terror bird would use its feet to injure prey by kicking it, which how does a bird hurt you by that? But anyway, and would hold down their prey and dispatch it by pecking at it with its large beak. (laughs) Ah, or they would use their beak as a blade to strike at or slash vital organs. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, so... The the terrifying things. Okay, you say, well, okay, there aren't terror birds, or at least directly terror birds like this around now, so it's safe. Uh, there have been birds that have killed people in the wild. Oh yeah. Um, so, cassowaries. Do you have you do you know about these things? I, not a lot, other than they're pretty good size, like emus, sort of. 
Right. So they remind me of like obese emus, actually, because um, they don't have really long necks like ostriches. They've got really short necks and their legs are like massive around. Um, and I'd heard about these things, but we went to Brazil for a, the meeting of the Americas and AGU. This was several years ago now, but when AGU used to have different meetings besides the fall meeting. And we went to an aviary park and there was this cassowary and it was just sitting there on its nest. And it did, it was like an obese emu and it's got this huge bony, I don't know if it's bone. It looks like a bony crest on its head which you can imagine in skeletal form would look just like a dinosaur. It doesn't have a really wide beak. It has a very emu-like face. But then it's got these huge legs. And they have um, killed people by kicking them with their legs in the wild. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, really the head, the head kind of reminds me of a turkey, except that the comb is bone. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. That's uh, what I mean. Like, it looks like a dinosaur, man. Yeah, Ooh. and... And I encourage you, listeners, to go go look up a picture of these things because it looks like they're walking on tree limbs. Yes, they're huge, <laughs> and so they're and this is so dinosaur-like. Um, their middle toe has this dagger-like claw that can be up to it says five inches long. Yeah. Wow. Uh huh. And they like live in the jungle, which is super scary. They can run up to thirty miles an hour, and they can jump up to five feet. Yeah. But let's talk about the most scary part, the scariest part, if you will. Okay. They, so what's the scariest part? They're good swimmers. <laughs> you can't <laughs> escape. Exactly. This thing goes at you in the jungle, and you're like, "Oh, I'll jump in this leech-infested lake. This thing won't care. Follow me in here." Nope. <laughs> It'll follow. Which is you surprising because they've got enough feathers and stuff. I, I would think they would not be great, but I, I know I wouldn't think so either. Um, this is crazy, and like cass. I'm also obviously obsessed with cassowaries, not just terror birds, because terror birds haven't been around for a couple million years. Um, but it says that cassowaries can range up to seven square kilometers by themselves. Like, that's their territory. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank God, because if it were smaller than that, there'd be a lot of them. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, and, you know, they may not be all that dissimilar other than being shorter than terror birds because they are currently the second heaviest bird around, coming in at up to 157 pounds. Oh my gosh, that's so terrifying, so terrifying. Yeah, these things are, um, these things are real creepy. Um, I love this <laughs> about the cassowary. Um, so cassowaries are in Australia too, of course, because why wouldn't they be, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it says that... <laughs> There's been said about eating the cassowary. It's supposed to be quite tough. It says Australian administrative officers stationed in New Guinea were advised by the locals in New Guinea ah, <laughs> that it should be cooked with a stone in the pot. When the stone is ready to eat, so is the cassowary. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so while cassowaries are not, there's only two living species of bird and I don't, was not familiar with them. Um, these two birds in South America that are relatives of directly of the terror birds, even though obviously they're all related somewhere down the line. 
Um, the terror birds, like while they, why they died, I thought was super interesting. Um, so they started to find these fossils, of these guys back in the 1870s in South America, obviously. And they got named their scientific name, which wasn't exciting. And then like a hundred years later, some American dude came in and called them terror birds. So obviously that's what they're called now. <laughs> right. I mean, you have to get your impact factor somehow. Exactly. But like we said, they ate the herbivores of South America that were too docile to fight back. But since the Cretaceous, a lot has happened in terms of our paleogeography, right? Right. So the big thing that I can think of there is uh, the closing of the Isthmus of Panama. Right. So we've drifted apart after Pangaea, where we were all connected, and North America and South America were not connected for a long time. But then about 5 million years ago, we closed that Isthmus of Panama, which also changed a lot of things, climatologically speaking, because once you closed off that seaway from North America to South America, you started to change ocean currents, in addition to obviously creating this big land bridge now and about five million years ago we started what they call the great american biotic interchange so things from north america going south and things from south america going north right and you know before the uh the continents were even joined there were some animals obviously ones that could swim that went ahead and started interchanging between them and we know that some of these other large predatory birds can swim. So it's possible the terror birds did too. Does it get any worse? I mean, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so not only do you have this three meter tall, hundreds of pounds bird coming after you, it can swim too, just like the cassowary. <gasps> right. And so we, we start getting this interchange. Our mammals go down to South America. No problems there. Uh, but some of the North American predators actually finally challenged the terror birds and ended up wiping them out. Exactly. So they basically died because they came across and where they had had no competition before, now they had a ton of competition, right? We had all those weird things that you see in museums, um, you know, short-faced bears and smilodons and these other big predators that were after our mammals. And then they were like, oh, look at that big old turkey. <laughs> And so they couldn't survive in the hostile North American climate. I mean. So that was the, the end of the reign of the terror bird. Exactly. So it wasn't just that climate, too. But obviously, we're moving into um, the last glacial maximum. Or, um, yeah. And the cold weather definitely wiped them out after that. Because this was not where they were used to being in South America. And so... That, along with big kitties, <laughs> yeah, definitely did it in for the terror birds. Thank the Lord, because I would definitely never go camping. Bears aren't bad enough, but having a <laughs> three-meter ostrich eat me, <laughs> not cool. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a short dive into terror birds, and I will link that um, new skull fossil page in there too of course it's behind a paywall but there's some you know science science jargon about it um in some of the sort of science news sites too because it's pretty cool 
And you should definitely Google pictures of terror birds if you've never seen them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought we'd keep the bird theme going today. <laughs> yeah, so it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay. I just so, wanted to prove that I was in the Slack chat room. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this paper comes from Martin in the Slack. Yay. <laughs> and it's real weird. <laughs> so quail consumption can be harmful by Corkmaz et al. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is in the Journal of Emergency Medicine which I imagine is an untapped resource for us, even though I think we've done a few of them before. We have. And yeah. uh, uh, most of the authors, I think all the authors here actually, are Turkish doctors. Mm-hmm. Which is important because this is where quail consumption can be harmful, but only during certain times of the year. Right. And I will say the first sentence of the paper, or of the abstract, rather, is a little misleading. It is. So it says intoxication due to quail consumption is rarely seen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was really hoping there was some awesome quail drunk stories in here, but that's not quite what's happening. No, they more mean toxins getting into your body and causing serious issues like, I don't know, renal failure. <laughs> Which can also happen by intoxication, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. If this only happens with certain quail during certain times of the migration year, because I guess it, this is just the whole, this whole paper points out the synergistic nature of science. Like you have to know something about animal migrations to have been able to accurately say what was happening to these people. Um, and a group of people, they were at a dinner party, they had quail, and four of the ten of them got really, really sick really sick by this, um, and went to the emergency room. And they figured out that it was because of the quail, because of something the quail eats that can also make us sick. Hemlock. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so these little quails, but this is only on one migratory. They go north, you know, at one time of the year, and then they go south at the other time of the year. And so it's only when they're going south, right? I think so. Um, yeah, so it's only when they're going south, so the autumn migration. Okay, right. So their autumn migration, and it's only, there's different branches of where these quail go from Africa into southern Europe, right there, obviously around Turkey is where these people got sick. And yeah, they eat hemlock seeds, and there is a chemical in hemlock, obviously, that can kill us, and if you eat a quail that's eaten a lot of hemlock seeds, then you can also get really, really sick. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they, they published this paper one to make other medical professionals aware that this is something that you should uh, think about. They have a lot of data in here of the number of days of hospitalization and things like white blood cell count, LDH, CPK, all those blood panel things. Mm -hmm. Uh, and some of these people were in the hospital for over a week. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And it didn't, it said that, um, so there's only four of the 10 people that ate it got sick. So I don't know if that just happened to be the quails that they ate, which they actually didn't talk about it. Um, it's a thing called rhabdomyolysis. I looked up how to say that one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh-huh, is the thing. And they first figured this sort of thing out, 
I thought it was really interesting during the bombing raids in World War II in England because you get the same sort of uh, symptoms if you get crushed because your muscles start to release this toxin and that's what starts to make you sick. Right. And you can also get it from other infections that you've probably heard of, like herpes simplex, Epstein Barr, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, trauma, hyper, hyper, hyper hypothermia. Uh, there are several different things that can cause similar symptoms, but if you've tested your patient for all of those, the next question should be, did you eat quail? Right. And I mean, this is, what's really weird to me is did these people all go, obviously these people, not obviously, it didn't say, I don't know if these people all went to the same place, but some of their symptoms were a little bit different. Most of them had that muscle fatigue and pain that would be associated with rhabdomyolysis. And then one guy never got muscle pain. And I just, I thought that was interesting. He was not the one that was sick for the longest, but also interesting. Cause it's like, man, that's a lot of stuff. How do you, how do you narrow that cause down so quickly to figure out, oh, you have hemlock poisoning. Yeah. And it can be conflated with some other things like nausea, vomiting, other symptoms that might be red herring sort of, I guess. I don't know. Was that, a, was that another bird joke? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated it, was all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically, if you are in Turkey or around that area, don't eat quail in the autumn. <laughs> yeah, I felt like this, should, this paper uh, should have or actually would be uh, the episode of a basis of House MD. <laughs> I know. It, yes, I... <laughs> Yeah, I we need to look that up. Surely this had to have happened, right? <laughs> like 100%. But good news for us, it says that um, the North American quail does not usually make people sick. So it's really the European subspecies. So if you're worried about African or European swallows, I mean quails. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Don't don't eat them in the fall. <laughs> that was a great paper. Thanks for sending it our way, Martin. If you have a paper that you would like us to to discuss or have statistics on quail consumption at your last dinner party, (laughs) we would love to hear those numbers. Shannon, how can they get the hold of us? Send those to us, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can also put them in the Slack chat room. I'll eventually see them. (laughs) And we're on the uh, Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. We're on Twitter. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Together we are at Don't Panic Geo. As always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for helping us keep going. If you want a sticker, let either one of us know, and we will get one sent out to you. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.